We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome back to the Cash Considerations Podcast, a Chicago Bulls podcast, where we're celebrating another Bulls win. Jason, I'm with Jason Pat. What's going on? Uh, it's going well. Yeah, that's four out of five wins for the Bulls all of a sudden. I guess if you want, they're ruining their tank dreams, if you want to think of it that way. But we're not. We're really positive. The Bulls are actually playing some pretty damn good basketball. They beat the Grizzlies tonight, 109 to 107. Not the prettiest of games, but they played pretty, pretty well in the second half. Zach Levine had another really nice game after after kind of a downer game in the loss of the Bucks. He bounced back with 30 points on 12-19 shooting, five rebounds, four assists. Lowry didn't make any threes, but he got another double-double. He's been racking up double-doubles like crazy lately, 22 points and 10 rebounds. Otto Porter came back after missing, after a leg injury, 20 points, six rebounds, three assists. I think that makes the Bulls, what, 5-2 and two now with Otto Porter Jr. in the lineup? Do I have that right, Ricky? Yeah, five and two with Otto Porter yeah. Jr. They uh, one of the games they lost since they acquired him was against Milwaukee when he didn't play. Uh, but Jason, before we get too much further in this podcast, we should introduce our special guest. We do have a special guest. That is Mark. Honestly, I don't even know how. To, is it Karen Sulis? Right? I I, don't, I should know how to how to say your last name at MK Hoops. Mark Karen Sulis, and also Bulls HQ podcaster. We got a little of a. Little cross uh, cross podcast going here, Mark. Welcome. Thanks, fellas, mate. You nailed that last name pronunciation. So I am I am a Greek, so that is like a that is a Greek last name, right? Yeah, it is. It is. So, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. You did well, but I'm I'm, I'm yeah. pumped. To, I'm pretty sure I'm the first international guest ever on Cash Consideration. So, for this pot at least, I'm going to consider myself Larry Marketing. I'll let you decide as to which one of you is Zach Levine and Chris Dunn, but I'm definitely going <laughs> oh, with Larry. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us. Like I said, you could find Mark, great Bulls fan out in Australia. He does another really good Bulls podcast called Bulls HQ. Uh, I've been on there a few times. Always fun to talk basketball with him. Mark, the Bulls have been really good lately. And uh, what has been, I guess, the biggest development that you've seen in these last, this, I guess this month, the Bulls just wrapped up February where they had, if, I haven't checked the update since they've had, I believe, one of the best offenses in the league. What have you really liked that you've seen over this last month of basketball after a season that was pretty much fucking terrible leading up to it. Yeah, I'm still getting my head around it. Obviously, we're pretty much finished February now. So I, I, it's taken me still the whole month to realize what the hell's happening. Obviously, Zach Levine and, and Larry Markin have been absolutely insanely good this month. But I, I, I don't know why it's sort of just randomly come out of nowhere. Obviously, the Bulls have changed the way they're sort of, they've played on offense. They've opened things up. Uh, and, and maybe the trade, obviously, of Otto Porter has definitely helped that. But even before Porter... I think we started to see Levine and Mark and sort of, I just, I guess, take that next step. And that's what I really want to see in in March and April to see if this is just a one month sample where these two guys have really come on and sort of played out of their skin or if this is the sign of things to come. So that's what I'm really looking forward to for the rest of the season. But the offense has been opened up. The team is playing a lot smaller. They're playing a lot faster. They're shooting a lot more threes. They're getting into transition a lot more. So basically they're doing all the things that they were meant to do under Fred Hoiberg at the start of the season and even last season. But I don't know why we had to go through that two-month period with Jim Boylan <laughs> where bad. we had to really slow things down and grind it out and just make make the team play some terrible basketball. I, I'm sure some people argue that had to happen to get to this position, but I would definitely argue against that logic. So I don't know. They're playing exactly how I would like to see them play, and, and I think we're reaping the benefits of that right now. 
Yeah, so you mentioned the just playing faster. Like tonight, it wasn't the fastest pace game, but just in general, pushing the ball in transition. The Bulls had 30 fast break points tonight. They're forcing a bunch of turnovers and just pushing pushing pace like that. I mean, who knew that pushing pace would get you easy opportunities in transition? We've seen we've seen Lowry Markinen play point guard. Like just the stuff that we've seen from Lowry lately, especially, has just been absolutely incredible. Uh, what is some of the stuff that you've seen just from Lowry specifically that has just opened up his game and taken him to the next level because now he after this game finishing up finishing up uh february with averages around like 25 26 points a game just his offensive game just kind of you mentioned just kind of coming out of nowhere blowing up what what have you seen specifically that you've liked the most that uh has led him to this taking this big jump i think just generally speaking he's just his mindset i, I don't know if it's to do with the trade and the fact that bobby portis and, and jabari parker are no longer here but clearly for whatever reason he's just been super aggressive in, in February and, and his shot attempts are up per month maybe that's got to do with Portis and Parker no longer being around he doesn't necessarily have that competition behind him at power forward so maybe the fact that those guys have been removed from the rotation has not only just balanced everything up for the whole team but it's made marketing I, I guess he's sort of been in the past he's, he's been a little bit prone to defer but now he's got real no, no choice but to be aggressive so he and Levine I think they've consistently gone out there and, and they've been really sharing that usage pretty well. So I think more than anything, obviously we've seen certain skill sets of his him improve over the last month, but I think none of that really happens if his mindset doesn't change. But he's just been really aggressive, actually wants the ball, he's commanding the ball now, off rebounds, he's bringing the ball up the floor and he's really initiating the offense. So I, I, I don't know if that's something that Jim Boylan has sort of brought out of Larry or Larry him, himself has taken on board himself to really be that more aggressive style of, of an offensive player, but that, that's been the biggest improvement or the biggest thing I've noticed with Larry over the last, let's just call it four weeks or so. And it's not a coincidence that I feel like these things have coincided with getting Otto Porter. Now, everyone thinks that the three of us are always overwhelmingly negative about everything the Bulls do, uh, but I feel like we all credited them for this move. Jason and yeah. I immediately applauded it on our podcast. Uh, I did it on Twitter as well. I just feel like this trade helped the team so much for a variety of reasons. You just look at getting Porter and Parker to shoot first, no defense, no playmaking ability, power forwards, getting those two guys out of the lineup, getting a legitimate small forward in there uh, clearly helped. And just to address the elephant in the room really, really quick, because I'm looking at the conversation going on after this Bulls win against the Grizzlies, the general chorus from people seems to be, oh, great, the Bulls are ruining their chances uh in the tank once again i mean it did sort of happen last year once they <laughs> got nikola miritich healthy they rolled off seven straight wins for a stretch there uh and that legitimately did cost them you know a better pick a better spot in the draft i still think they ended up with a pretty good player in wendell carter well are the bulls doing it again i don't really think you can say that because the bulls now they're they're in fourth uh it's 17 and 45 after the win against the grizzlies the Hawks also won tonight. So the Bulls, by winning this game, didn't lose any ground. The Hawks are on a tear lately. Uh, they're playing even better than the Bulls. They're 21-41. and 41. Uh, So there's a four-game cushion there. There's 21 games left. Now, it's true that the top three all get a 14% chance at the number one pick. Well, the Bulls, if they come in fourth, they only lose 1.5%. So they'll be at 125 Uh I feel like my general takeaway from this is that, the, first of all, the tanking rules – actually accomplished their intent, which was so that people could like develop their guys instead of coming up with garbage injuries uh, and just resting, you know, mostly healthy players so that they, so the math would be more in their favor in the lottery. But, uh, you know, I, I think that for Bulls fans, you have to applaud these wins right now. Mark, would you agree? Like, I think that the wins are worth uh, you know, maybe losing that 1.5% chance they would have had, but, you know, still who knows if they would have even got that given the way Cleveland, the Knicks, and Phoenix have been losing. Yeah, hell yeah, I, I agree with everything you just said there. And, and look, the only thing that really, the thing that annoys me about this whole debate is we're, we're talking about one one and a half percent, and that's what people yeah. keep bringing up. But if they want to actually make a valid argument, it's more, but more, it should be more centered around the Bulls falling from, you know, fourth to seventh or eighth or something of that nature, rather than missing out on one and a half percent chance on getting Zion. I think that's probably the better argument to make than, you know, having one and a half percent less chance of potentially landing number one or whatever it may be. The odds have been flattened, so in reality, they're they're not. 
they're probably not going to get Zion. So that's the way I'm approaching it. But to that other point that you made there, Ricky, like this isn't like last season where it was Nikola Mirotic winning games for the Bulls or bloody Sean Kilpatrick coming off the bench there and <laughs> you know winning the Bulls the Bulls two or three games just because he happened to be a Mark Bartlestein um, client there. This is this isn't the same situation. Obviously, Rolo has been damn good in February himself. Otto Porter has been awesome as well. But the Bulls are looking looking so good right now because of Larry Markin and Zach Levine. Obviously, they've been uh, supported by the bench um, like we saw against the Celtics, but the Bulls have been this fun and this good because of Larry Markin and Zach Levine taking that next step. So if the Bulls are going to actually win games because Larry Markin is going to average 25 and 12 for the month of February and have like a 25 PER, then so be it. Like I I don't give a shit at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah, I've been trying to tell people down the ledge as well. Shout out to my good friend, uh, Chris. I'm not going to say his last name, but we always argue all the time about uh, just about the tanking stuff and all that stuff. And it's like with with the flattened odds. And Ricky, you mentioned that that they've kind of done their – they've kind of like helped. I feel like there's really no teams that have been like blatantly tanking. I guess it was like the Suns are playing a bunch of young guys and trying to win. Like the Knicks, I don't think they've been like really desperately like trying to tank and like the Cavs got Kevin Love back and he's playing a lot. So like, I feel like all these teams are actually trying to win. So I think that the, the flatlined odds have kind of helped. And yeah, I mean, I mean the bulls, the bulls play the Hawks a couple times coming up this weekend. Even if, I mean, I guess even if they beat them, like there's the Hawks has been playing pretty good lately. So that those are probably pretty good wins. And like, even if the bulls do fall to fifth, I think the odds then go to like 10%. And then Mark, you mentioned the stuff about, I guess that would mean that they have a better chance of falling to whatever, like eight, seven or eight like even then i feel like all the talk about this draft is like once you get to like four it's basically a, i mean the drafts are crapshoots anyways but if you get to four it's like who knows who you're gonna get so like there's i don't even know if there's that big of a difference between four and eight anyways so it's like the the chance of getting zion are either basically like whatever 14 or like 12 and a half or 10 percent and then the rest of it is it's kind of a toss-up so it's like I, I i'm with you guys that i i feel like i'm trying to tell people don't worry about winning games now if they're winning games like you said because of the young guys playing well like i could maybe i understand if you're mad about robin lopez playing 40 minutes tonight and he's playing like the best basketball his career which is kind of hilarious that the bulls clearly have decided not to buy him out they've had they've they were pretty strong on that after the trade deadline and uh the deadline for buying out players to go to other te- teams that join a playoff team is on uh, this friday i believe march 1st it looks like they're clearly not going to do that but I mean, Roll has been good, and I feel like he's probably been helping the young guys as well. Just his his screen setting, he clears rooms for rebounds. He's been really good defensively at five blocks tonight. So, like, Robin Lopez playing loud does does seem kind of crazy on this Bulls team, but, like, he's also, I think, probably helping the development a little bit. So it's like, whatever. Let's try to enjoy this last month. Because the first half of the season was just such a shithole of a season. Like, it was just so depressing. We were so mad on these podcasts. Like, it's just kind of nice to be able to enjoy – watching games again a bit even if they don't mean that much like they're still they're salvaging the season at least a little bit hopefully they can keep it up and and just, and just keep playing this because it's it's been a lot more fun and like we just want them to be fun we want them to be good and and we've seen we've seen more of that lately yeah i mean people forget this was meant to be a year of development it, it turned into a year yeah. of tanking but initially it wasn't meant to be a year of tanking it was meant to be a year right. of improvement a year of development so that never went away for me that logic so to see now that Larry Markin and Zach Levine, and look, the Levine's doing had been doing this for most of the season, and obviously Larry missed the first couple months of the season there with the elbow injury. But to see them really coming along, only well as individuals and taking that next step to their own game, but finding that connection within themselves and, and really you know coming together as a pairing in the pick and roll and pick and pop. This is something you want to see these two guys playing together quite extensively over the next coming months. So I don't think this is a lost season. I was initially thinking at, or during the season that this had been a completely wasted and failed season. But I think there's actually, for whatever reason, it's just flipped all of a sudden to the point where there is something still to be salvaged of this season. And people need to remember it is a year of develop, uh, development. And we've seen that from Mark and Levine in February. So to me, it's all positive at the moment, Like, which is kind of weird to say, I guess. <laughs> I wasn't expecting to say that. I mean, it's been Porter, a weird season. Porter's been really good too. Addo tonight against Memphis, 20 points, uh, 7-12 from the field, 3-6 from three-point range. He had three blocks, three steals, three assists, uh, six boards. So I really don't think you can say enough about that move. Now, remember, you know, people might want to be crediting the Bulls now. Like, you know, the Bulls have made a couple good trades here. The trade for with uh, Memphis for Justin Holiday, that was a great move. 
trading Parker and Portis for Otto Porter. Great move. But don't forget, the Bulls also offered Bobby Portis $50 million in an extension uh, during the summer. If Bobby accepts that deal, I don't think this trade gets made. I think that then the Bulls are viewing him as, quote-unquote, part of the core going forward. Uh, So, like, for me as a fan, it's still tough for me to totally trust, not even totally trust, even partially trust the front office because I think that in a lot of ways – they get saved from themselves by something like Bobby Portis turning down that extension. Yeah, I mean, look, I wasn't the biggest fan of the Otto Porter trade. That's not to say I didn't like it or didn't think it was good or it ultimately depended on what perspective you wanted to apply on the trade. But I've mentioned this before as well. I think the biggest biggest part of the Otto Porter trade itself was just removing Jabari Parker and Bobby Portis from the rotation, not only in terms of what it did for balancing the squad, but everything else that it's done. Like even the bench units that the, the Bulls are playing now, they're playing a lot smaller and faster. You, they're, they're playing a lot of um, Otto Porter at power forward, but even you know other guys running through the four spot as well. And all of a sudden, they just look like a modern basketball team. So I, I definitely am hesitant to say that the Bulls are back type thing in terms of uh, management making all the right moves. They've made two successful moves uh, this season. But to your point, Ricky, I mean, had Bobby Portis not felt himself there and actually accepted a deal, then maybe this whole thing looks completely different. But um, I, I think there are some reasons to be somewhat positive about this whole thing going forward. But... Yeah, just just for the record, I, I didn't love the Otto Porter trade, but I didn't you know dislike it either. But maybe after you know a game like he had today against the Grizzlies with the, with the numbers you quoted before, maybe I'll come around to it. Yeah, I mean, just Porter. I, he, there, there's going to be reg- some regression here, obviously, with Porter, but he has been just like ridiculously good with the Bulls so far. Uh, he entered tonight shooting 55% overall, 52% from three, like 18 points a game, five rebounds, three assists. Like, I mean, he's he just really has putting a competent player there at small forward instead of having whatever, if it was like Chandler Hutchison or Wayne, like Wayne Selden's been nice, but like as a starting small forward, like you don't really want him as a starter or whatever, whatever the crap they were playing at small forward is having a competent shooter, a guy who can do a bit more uh, offensively overall, just spacing the floor. Like it's clear just how much it has really helped. And like, and his numbers themselves have been great. So like, so, Obviously, he's not going to shoot 55% as a bull. Those numbers are going to come down. But just overall, they've been really good. Speaking of so, another guy who had a really nice game tonight, Mark, your favorite player, Ryan Archidiakono, 12 points off the bench in 17 minutes, 5 of 6 from the field, 2 of 2 from 3, 2 rebounds, 2 assists. He was a minus 6, but I don't think that was really his fault. He played some pretty hard-nosed defense, hit his shots. Please tell us, Mark, what, what makes you such a fan of – Young, young Arch, and I mean, he's been—he's been a nice surprise this year. I feel like he's not—he's obviously not starter material, but like, as just a, he's proved himself to be a solid NBA player. I made—I made jokes about him last season, thinking he was just kind of a, a joke and not an NBA player. And he's kind of proven he has so far. Mark, why do, are you such a big fan of? Of Ryan Archidiak now. Well, I'm glad you brought him up because I was literally looking at the clock to see how long we had been going for. I didn't want to bring it up too <laughs> early, but <laughs> look, uh, I, I'm a big fan of him because. You know, for this Bulls team, at least, let's just focus on the Bulls. Let's, yeah. let's, who knows if Archie Diakono could you know make it on any other team? But I think he shines on a team like the Bulls because they don't necessarily have too many players that can play both sides of the ball, and they don't really have a lot of players who are actually good, smart NBA players who know what to do on every single possession. So I'm not going to sit here and say Archie Diakono is the point guard of the future. I mean, I couldn't. You know, I'd be mocking my own self, but. <laughs> He just knows what to do, and he knows how to play, and he just knows who to give the ball to at the right at the right time when when it's required. So he's just a steady player who I think you, any coach who could insert him off the bench, you just you're gonna be feel comfortable with the fifteen minutes, twenty minutes that he does play for you every single night. And I mean, for me personally, I mean, he reminds me of Kirk Heinrich. He he just has that scrappy mentality. He's in there, you know, drawing charges, just hitting the deck all the sing every single time. And they're they're the balls players that I've always loved over the years. So. He's a bit of a throwback to the, the to the yesteryear of the type of ball I've always loved, so I'll, I'll obviously put that on the record and admit that. But I, I think he actually does have a role on this team, you know, obviously for this season, but going forward too. He's just a smart, heady player, and the Bulls need as many good two-way players who can make the right decision at the right time as they can get. And you know, we see Chris Dunn on a basically on a game-to-game basis have periods where he looks really good, but then he has some uh, he, he'll go through a stretch where he's really struggling, making dumb plays and. You don't really get that with Archie Diakono. His, his floor is um, 
he's pretty consistent, even though he's, you know, his ceiling will never be uh, maybe anything more than a bench guy. But I think he has value, and I'm going to stand for him as long as he goes around on this team. I, th- I think he's got a place on it. Yeah, he actually leads the Bulls in win shares, which is kind of crazy. I'm not sure how much value you can actually put into that stat in the NBA. Uh, but, you know, a lot of his advanced stats are pretty impressive as well. He's shooting above league average with a 58% for shooting percentage. He's been hot from three. Uh, and he just doesn't screw up. Like, there's a lot of value in just having a guy who's not going to make blatant errors. I mean, you look at some of the mistakes Dunn makes as ball handlers, yeah. passer, uh, shot selection. To begin this game tonight against the Grizzlies, he threw a terrible pass on like one of their first possessions. The next possession, he comes down and misses a wide open layup. Uh, you know, he allows an and one against Mike Conley. It's like Archie Diacono is going to take nothing totally off the table besides for his limitations and like size and athleticism. And he's he's just going to like help get everyone flowing. I feel like. And, there is a lot of value in that. So I'm not saying that Archie Diacono is going to be the backup point guard on the next really good Bulls team. Uh, but I think there's a non-zero chance that could happen. Like if we were using this period to evaluate young players and to try to find, uh, you know, a guy like Robert Covington, who the Sixers basically just plucked out of nowhere uh, in ended up using, you know, their rebuilding stages to develop him into a really good player. I think that that's, like, on the table, at least, for Archie Diacono, like, not with the same ceiling as Covington, uh, but just as someone who could be an NBA rotation point guard. So, uh, Mark, I think you're right on the money with that. Yeah, I mean, if anything, even if he's just, like, the third-string point guard and the guy who can, if you need him to throw him in there for some energy, for some smart play, like... There you go. I mean, he's, he's clearly proven that he's got a spot, I feel like, on an NBA team somewhere, at least. Yeah, I mean, he's. you mentioned Robert Covington, but he's almost this team's TJ McConnell in a, in a lot of ways. So, yeah, there you go. I mean, he, he has a role on this team. And you, if you just think about the Bulls starting backcourt, Chris Dunn and Zach Levine, both players are prone to bad decision-making. They're prone to high turnover games. So when you combine them and you give them both 30 minutes a game, you, you are really opening up that you know potential issue for the team where they are turning the ball over quite a bit. And we've seen that countless amount of times. So we've seen Zach Levine in February take on more of that ball handling ability. And having someone who alongside him who's not necessarily going to turn the ball over and he's just going to spot up and hit those threes as Archie, Archie Diacono can sort of do, I think there is value to that type of player next to Levine more so than Chris Dunn can provide at times. Yeah, so I guess on that note, what do you make of Chris Dunn's future with the Bulls? Like, obviously, he has really struggled this month. Uh, it seems like the writing is kind of on the wall with him because there was there was another some more another awkward moment on the broadcast tonight with uh, the Neil, Neil's replacement Lisa Byington, I think her name was, asked Stacy at the end of the broadcast like. Sort of like the, what do the Bulls need moving forward, and like they need a point guard, right? And Stacy wouldn't take the bait, but like there have been times this year where he's he's criticized Dunn, and there was I've mentioned this a few times a game uh, a Bucks game I think before the break he didn't even mention Chris Dunn's name during like when he was running down the Bulls core like and like Paxson hasn't really given him uh, his his stamp of approval moving forward. Like clearly, I just feel like that they're going to make some type of point guard upgrade somehow, whether it's through the draft, whether it's free agency, whether it's both. I mean, what, what what do you make of the whole Chris Dunn situation? Well, I mean, it's funny. You just mentioned Pax, and I was literally going to bring it up. But he's pretty he's pretty honest in the way he addresses the media and, and those sorts of things. He's pretty transparent, even when he's not trying to be. And I just think back to I mean, maybe Fred Hoiberg's first season or his second season, whenever it was. But he made it pretty clear in his words and what he didn't say about Fred, that he wasn't necessarily enamored with what Hoiberg was doing. And I'm sort of getting that vibe with Chris Dunn right now from Pax. So um, I, right now, I mean, Pax has mentioned that the fact that the Bulls are basically going to give him the rest of the season to evaluate him to see what that means and to see how he he can sort of figure out the last 20-odd games or, or whatever it may be. But that's not necessarily a ringing endorsement of Chris Dunn from John Pax. And so I'm getting those vibes from Pax and where he's sort of just persevering with Dunn like he did with Hoiberg. But if the moment sort of comes around where he can find a better option, and I'm sure that may be, that may be the case coming up in the draft or in free agency, that he will he will happily move on from Chris Dunn. That's the vibe I'm getting. That I'm basing that completely, or I'm speculating that completely on based on what uh, on what John Paxson has and hasn't said. But that would be my guess as to what's happening. So, I, I, and I don't think Pax is wrong in that approach. I think Chris Dunn is going to be 25 in a few days' time. So. 
people like to bring up that this is only his third year, that he's only played X amount of minutes, that he's only played X amount of games. But the dude is 25. He's basically in his, in his athletic prime right now. I don't know how much better he can get. He's not necessarily a 20 or 21-year-old player here where I'm, I'm thinking a few more years in a system is going to make him that much better. I'm, I'm kind of concerned that this guy has almost hit the ceiling where he may be headed towards being that bench or that, you know, that, that first point guard off the bench type type of player. So if that's what Chris Dunn ultimately is going to be, then he's not the Bulls' answer because they need that starting point guard. Yeah, so here's a question you have to ask yourself. If Levine is part of the team long-term moving forward, what type of point guard do you want next to him? I think in a lot of ways, the idea of Chris Dunn fits what you're looking for. Ideally, you want someone who's long, who can guard multiple positions, like take on the tougher defensive assignment in the backcourt. You want someone uh, who's a little bit more of a natural facilitator, but someone who ideally you could play on or off the ball. Well, the problem with Dunn is that he just has so many holes in his game uh, and he hasn't improved on any of them. His three-point shooting has remained remarkably steady uh, throughout his career. He's bad at it. He won't take threes and he doesn't make them when he does. He's hitting only 31 0.7% of his threes this season, taking under two attempts per game. The free throws is even more pathetic. This guy should be able to get to the line at will, just given his physical tools. Instead, he's only taking 1.5 free throws a game. So I just feel like, you know, they have to do something bold at point guard. I think they want to draft John Morant. That's not any inside information. Uh, the point guard from Murray State, we've seen John Paxson uh, at one of his games this year scouting him. I know they've had scouts at other games too. So I think that, you know, if the Bulls get the opportunity to take John Morant, he could very easily be the guy. I've been thinking of a trade. I want to throw out to you two guys. Let me know what you think of this one. If you were to get, you know, let's say the, the third or fourth pick in this draft, maybe even the second pick. Are we going Drew Holiday here? Is this coming right now? Drew Holiday would be great, but I'm not sure he quite fits the timeline. Uh, I'm going Shea Gilgis-Alexander, the point guard for the Clippers. I think he would be an ideal fit next to Zach Levine Hmm. in the backcourt. He's basically like if Chris Dunn was just actually good, like if if the idea of Chris Dunn was the reality, (laughs) he's a 6'6 point guard with a 7-foot wingspan, so he's much bigger than Dunn, first of all, even though Dunn has a reputation as a big guard. Uh, he is a little shy to pull the trigger from three, but super long, good defensively. He can actually get to the rim and finish and use his size and length. So uh, I feel like the Clippers are obviously going to make some big moves during this offseason. I think they have, what, one or two? Do they have two max spots available now? I, I think they can get close to two. I think that they're, that's what well, they're hoping for. Uh, you know, if they – if they want to add R.J. Barrett to the mix there, I'll take Shea Gilgis-Alexander. So I'm just throwing that out there for you guys. Oh, man. Uh, I don't – that's tough. I, I liked – because I watched a decent amount of Kentucky down the stretch last year when he, like, really blew up his stock, and I did like him. I do worry about the same kind of things with Dunn, like the three-point shooting and stuff like that. Uh, but I know his tools are really great. It's – because I guess just like once you get past like whatever, like you said, three or four, like it's just kind of like such a crapshoot. Like, do you take Cam Reddish or Jared Culver or Romeo Langford or some of these, one of these other dudes, or do you trade for like Shea Gilgis Alexander? Like if they get Jared, Barrett, I'm not going to be thrilled about it. I'm not going to be like, well, here come the Bulls. Now, I think the Bear can still be a productive NBA player, no doubt about it. I think he's got a really high floor, yeah. and hopefully, you know, he's able to leverage his physical ability defensively a little bit more than he's shown at Duke this season. Look, just. Based on his tools, RJ Barrett should be an impactful defensive player, and if that happens, you know he'll probably be a pretty good player. Uh, but I just feel like you know the Bulls need to do something at point guard here. Uh, I don't think Barrett is a point guard. They could try him as that, but I don't think that that's their. Uh, the other are there, are there any other of those point guards? Like is it Darius Garland? Is that the guy? That, the yeah, second best point guard? I saw him like, playing on the EYBL, which is Nike's AAU circuit, uh, when his class were seniors and I thought he was the best point guard in that high school class uh, obviously not a banner year for that position as it was a few years ago during the draft with Dennis Smith and Lonzo and Fultz and De'Aaron Fox but uh, I thought he was the best now he has some holes in his game though he's very small he's like 6'1 or 6'2 he shines with his pull-up shooting ability 
and he's a pretty good but not great passer. It's not like he's a Trey Young style uh, dude who's going to like mm-hmm. you know rack up 12, 13 assists in a game, but. Uh, he does have some good pull-up shooting ability. He also is going to struggle to finish at the rim because he's not very explosive and he is so small. I don't know if him and Levine defensively would be viable long-term moving forward. So, yeah, I mean, he's in the mix. Trey Jones, I guess, the point guard from Duke. I, I, teams don't even guard him on the perimeter anymore. He yeah. can't shoot at all. Very good player. Yeah, not uh, that high. Yeah, I don't know. I want Gilgis Alexander. That's one thing I've been thinking Mark, yeah, Mark, what do you think about that? Well, I don't know why I thought of this, but like I, I back in 2017, I wish the Bulls had a late second round pick so they could have taken Monty Morris. I mean, that would have been nice back oh, in the yeah. day. But he's been great. Ames Mafia. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't know what they're gonna do at point guard. Like I, I'm off. I'm wondering if someone or the point guards in this draft, if they're being hyped up a little bit too much because there isn't that necessarily that many point guard options at the top of the draft. So I wonder if they're benefiting from that from that fact. So I'll probably do divert to Ricky on that one. But I, I honestly don't know what they're going to do at point guard. It's a problem. They're probably put in a stopgap for one or two years via free agency. That's probably the most likely thing to do. I, I kind of agree that they need to do go and do something crazy, like potentially moving their pick if it's not necessarily a top three pick. I, I wouldn't necessarily be enamored with you know someone like RJ Barrett or someone like that. I, I would be trying to move it for a point guard, whether that's Gildress Alexander or someone else. I, I don't know what the answer is, but I think they really need to lock down that that point guard position, but I think ideally, or not necessarily ideal, I think what they're going to do is just find that stopgap position over you know over free agency for one to two seasons. And I almost feel like this rebuild is going to be somewhat accelerated come July. That's a, that's the sense I get. I could be wrong, but that's kind of where I think this is headed. I don't think they're necessarily going to get younger in that sense. Would you do the a Drew Holiday trade? I, I was I was talking about that with on Twitter and some friends as well recently arguing about whether like obviously that the, you talk about accelerating the rebuild like is should they do that like should they try to bring in a player like Drew Holiday and try to make a big jump like if you think that they're like a point guard away from being like a like, not real I don't want to say really good I and mean, they're still have a long way to go before we can really take them seriously but like if they actually had like a, you put in a good veteran player like Drew Holiday that who can play both ends like. Would that would they become a playoff team? Like, are they like a surefire bottom of the East playoff team? There could they even be better than that? Like, would you try to make that kind of move even if he doesn't really fit the timeline? And if you give, but if you're giving up a possible whatever 19, 20 year old with potential, would you do something like that? I mean, it would depend on the deal itself, but ultimately, if they if they're looking at guys like Ricky Rubio or Darren Collison or even someone like Malcolm Brogdon, who's still perceived as a young guy, he's twenty six, going to be twenty seven. So, I mean, if they were to bring in someone like that, even Ricky Rubio, who's like 28, 29-year-old, I don't necessarily why don't necessarily know why you wouldn't necessarily go after Drew Holiday if you are thinking go for that mature age sort of point guard option. Obviously, it's a lot different uh, proposition, you know, trading for Holiday versus signing one of those guys that's outright in yeah. free agency. But if that's the plan and, and, and the idea is to bring in someone that's 27, 28, 29 years of age at point guard, then... I think Holiday is pretty much the perfect option to put next to Levine and as a third option with Levine and Mark and would really work. And I'm just thinking about the defense here and Otto Porter brings alongside yeah. of Lowry and Levine and, and bringing Wendell back in. That's actually a pretty exciting team. So I don't necessarily... I, th- I actually think it's pretty good. It's an interesting one. It depends on what it would take via trade. I'm assuming the Pelicans would want something kind of decent. But if they're going... For a mature age guy in free agency, in free agency, which is probably where they're going to head, if I'm guessing, after trading for Otto Porter, who will be 26 soon, you know, you bring in a mature point guard. I, I can just see where this is headed in the sense that they'll they'll make one last pick in this draft coming up, and maybe a top five pick. They'll sign some veterans, and then they'll sort of push forward. But if if that's the case, then I don't think they should be opposed to trading for some veterans too. Yeah. All right. Now for a word from our sponsor. Life can be stressful, but getting life insurance shouldn't be. That's why there's Ethos. Ethos is a modern kind of life insurance that's super fast, incredibly affordable, and very uncomplicated. At GetEthos.com, there are no medical exams for policies covering under a million dollars, no hours of paperwork or meetings with pushy representatives. Nobody likes pushy representatives. It only takes 10 minutes to apply, and you can get rest and you can rest assured knowing you've taken steps to protect your family. And, and in most cases with Ethos, you can have that peace of mind for less than a cup of coffee a day with no hidden fees. Great. Having life insurance can free you from stress, 
Getting life insurance shouldn't cause it. Discover how uncomplicated life insurance can be at Ethos. Get your free instant quote and submit your complete application in just minutes. So that's just go to getethos.com. That's E-T-H-O-S, getethos.com, getethos.com. And we're back. Um, so I guess just, yeah, talking about, like, I guess a brief, if you want to take a brief look ahead, like, if, with, with depending on what the Bulls do this summer, if they do it, get that accelerated rebuild. I was just, just kind of thinking about the Eastern Conference today, just – the Eastern Conference is such a hot mess. Like, I think one of the reasons why Bulls fans thought they could possibly make like a run towards the East playoffs next season was because the East Eastern Conference is so trash. And I was just looking at the standings today. Like, the bottom of the East playoff race is such a fucking joke. Like, the, the Heat won on like a D Wade oh, buzzer beater three against the Warriors tonight. Uh, the man, <laughs> it was so garbage. But like, they're right there. Like, the Hornets hold hold the eight seed right now. They're twenty eight and thirty three. Uh, the Magic just lost to the Bulls last uh, Bulls last week, and then the Knicks the other night. They're twenty eight and thirty four. The Heat moved to twenty seven thirty three, but they lost just lost to the Suns. Like, do you see how trash some of these teams are at the bottom of the East? Like, that's why I feel like Bulls like Bulls fans think that maybe they could like make a run towards the playoffs next season if they, with the core that they have right now, and then if they make the right moves in free agency, like. I don't think it's that crazy. Like I, some people might think might still say, hold your horse, but I feel like the bulls could be at least in the mix. If the playoffs, if it's similar next year, like if get the 35 ish wins, like making that kind of jump, I don't think would be that crazy. Like Mark, do you th- think that they could possibly fight for a playoffs next year? If the East is so bad again, I mean, without coming off, like sounding like C red Fred here, then, um, well, I'm not talking about winning like 50 games. I'm like possibly like fighting for the eight. Seed I mean, here. it's definitely in play, and, and and the reason why I would say that is that they've. I mean, they got 20 million dollars in space in, in in 2019 to to do something with, and I think they probably rather than spending it on one or two guys, are probably better off spending it across two or three players. But if you just think about their point guard problem, probably maybe their backup big and maybe another wing off the bench. They're the roles they've really got to fill. So if you can sort of replace someone like Cristiano Felicio, who's getting the backups in at center minutes at the moment, oh maybe you put Rollo back to the bench and you have Wendell coming back and you bring off another wing off the bench, bring back Selden and then find that point guard. You know, Even if it is a stopgap option, let's just say it's Ricky Rubio, whoever it may be. If you just fill those those positions with competent NBA players and you don't necessarily have to go to your bench and play Shaquille Harrison or Cristiano Felicio or give or, you know, God forbid, give Antonio Blakeney minutes. If, if, if you can sort of avoid that situation and insert or plug in some competent NBA players, then, yeah, we're, we're potentially looking at a, a 35-win team, maybe with some more upside depending on what Wendell does, what the draft pick does. And I, I think it's definitely possible that the Bulls can sort of sneak into that 7 or 8 seed next season. But, you know, who knows what will happen. But I, I think there is a path for that to occur. Yeah, I think there is too. I mean, especially if they get Drew Holiday. I haven't actually seen anyone talk about the Bulls potentially going after Holiday. I do think that if they could get him without giving up a first-round pick, that he would be ideal. I mean, Drew Holiday is an awesome player, and I think his contract is one year longer than Porter's off the top of my head. So, uh, you know, if you're going ha- to keep Porter's contract on the books, you might as well, you know, take on another big one in Holiday too. Uh I do think that, you know, uh, a jump up the Eastern Conference standings could be possible. But like Mark said, they got to get all the players who wouldn't even be on another NBA roster out of this rotation. Felicio, number one. uh, I don't know if you're going to be able to find anyone to take that $8 million off your hands for the next two seasons. But at least get to a point where you're not playing him. Would you bring back Lopez? He's a free agent after the year. He currently makes $14 million. I think in the new NBA, he's probably going to get like $3 million. He's like He's probably like a minimum guy or like a maybe a minimum, like a mini MLE yeah. type guy. But yeah, like, he's like no one wanted to trade for him. $3 million contract yeah. right now. Yeah. I mean, Rolo has been incredible. Like, it's been kind of outrageous how well Rolo has been playing lately. He was before, he didn't have a good offensive game tonight, but like before tonight, over his last five games, he was putting up like 20 points a game on like 65% shooting, like just dominating down low. He's found like the fountain of youth. Tonight he played – you talk, talk about Felicio for a second here. It is like unbelievable how <laughs> shitty he is. Like tonight tonight he blew – like within like two – he played six minutes. Lopez played 40 minutes tonight because Felicio is so bad. He was like a minus six in like six minutes. Uh, he like blew an alley-oop. Uh, he botched a wide-open layup last game against the Bucks. 
the Bulls were up like 15, 13, I think, after the first quarter, and the second unit comes in, Felicio like mishandles a ball. He like he can't catch a pass. Like, he he's just his. We we loved we used to love Big Chris. Like we were big big Chris supporters. Like didn't quite love the four million dollar deal. I feel like the Bulls bit against themselves. They were like. He had shown some nice things when the bull. He looked like a nice little piece for the Bulls, and now he is basically unplayable. It is like unreal how bad he is, and it's just really unfortunate that it has turned like this. But I guess here's a question: You bring up like you talk about backup centers next year. Would you rather sign Robin Lopez, Joakim Noah, or Taj Gibson? I mean, I was going to bring up Taj. I think Taj is a center in the in the modern NBA these days. I think he probably has yeah. more left in him than Joakim Noah. I say that even though jo- Joakim dominated the Bulls today, so so maybe he'll prove me wrong. I, I would be I would I'd be cool with either one. I, I just want one former ball back on this squad. But but Taj is my guy. <laughs> uh, I would be very happy to see him back. But you know, I, I, another name that I'd like to throw in the in the mix is I was listening to the low post earlier this morning, and he had uh, Joe Harris and Sarah Kustock on. So it was a very Nets type podcast and what about jared dudley as a backup four off the bench he's an unrestricted fee agent yep. free agent he's a bartlestein client i believe he just makes perfect <laughs> sense perfect. as a bulls guy and from all reports he's just the perfect locker room vet mentor guy i think he would be a, a great addition to the bench yeah i mean those kind of guys are probably what they're going to be looking for like you maybe add a couple bigger names maybe with that cap space like i i kind of agree with you that i'd probably rather split it among a few players rather than like go out and try to make a, a big splash unless they unless they trade it for a guy like drew holiday or something like that but if they're going to sign guys like try to sign some veterans and try to get some veterans on the cheap like you said go after taj they, they need a backup they, they, they could use a backup stretch four type jared dudley's been he's been great for the great for the nets this season uh, he's very entertaining to follow on Twitter. He's very he's very active on there and uh, talking with fans. I, th- I think that'd be he'd be a really easy guy to root for. I, I don't hate that yeah, idea at all. They need a big point guard or a, a starting point guard. Really, they need a backup wing and a backup center. If they get both those things, if they can add three, you know, actual productive NBA players to the rotation, not stars, but just guys who can hold their own. I do think that that would really improve the team, especially you know if you have a situation next year where. Porter's on the team the entire season. Markinen's not getting hurt in training camp. I think that's the blueprint right there. Guys, we're forgetting about Denzel Valentine. Come on. <laughs> uh, uh, no exactly. That's about the best. Way you could, that's about the best way you could go with that. Just oh yeah, I always forget that he's actually on this team. So I mean, Denzel's not even that bad. Like I like I like to I like to joke about Denzel, especially because C-Red Fred fucking loves Denzel. But, like, he, he wasn't even that bad last season. Like, he's a good three-point shooter. Like, if he's, like, your ninth or tenth guy, like, I'm, I'm good with Denzel Valentine, even if he, even if his legs or his ankles are made of glass. Well, I mean, Denzel will be 26 next season or either this season yeah, or whenever yeah. we. I think it'll be next season. So, he's not necessarily young as well. So, just even more reason to, well, maybe not necessarily accelerate the rebuild, but if he's coming off the bench, he's a 26-year-old, you know, bringing in another 27 or 28-year-old, maybe someone else instead of Denzel Valentine, it wouldn't necessarily be the worst thing. And I just don't know what to make of the guy. He's This is a pretty significant deal with, um, you know, his ankle injury. So who, who knows, but I'm not yeah. expecting much. Yeah, so I guess on, on that same note, I kind of have a little fun, fun question here for you. I mentioned C Red Fred. He loves Denzel. You and C Red Fred, I feel like, have a nice little, uh, shall we say, rivalry going on Twitter. How how did that start? And like, I, I don't even remember because I, I mean, I've been following both you guys for a while and and kind of just watching it. I sometimes get involved, and we we always go go back and forth. How did how did you and C Red Fred start your start your little Twitter rivalry? Because he, I saw him the other day had some goofy ass photoshops. <laughs> Of, of you and like just i don't even know what he's doing over there but but how, how did that whole thing get started because it does it does amuse me very I, much. I honestly can't even remember i mean it, it feels like we've been the best way to sum up our relationship it's like an old married couple a couple so <laughs> I, I don't know how it started or why it started it probably started with me I, I was sort of late to twitter so fred had been on twitter for quite a while and i think once i started following some key bulls people he was amongst them and I probably took it too seriously initially and I just constantly got into arguments with this guy who I thought was a complete lunatic. But then over the years, uh, I sort of softened and I realized that he's actually a pretty cool dude, a um, someone that I enjoy being around and just enjoy just joking around with. So I have I can't remember exactly how it played out or why it played out, but I don't know. We found a similar wavelength. We couldn't be more opposites in terms of how we view basketball, but we uh, we find a way to just 
just poke fun at each other, I guess. And um, I love Fred. He's the best. It's kind of beautiful. Here we have you <laughs> who lived your whole life in Australia. Correct. Fred, lifelong Chicago guy, becoming, you know, fake enemies or, you know, a nemesis of another friend of Frenemies. It's, it's a beautiful Twitter story, in my opinion. It's definitely the romance that I always wanted to have in my life. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm very uh, fortunate of Fred. Um, um, he's, he's, a, he's, he's, he brings me a lot of joy. His content and his tweets, I, I find a lot of, uh, I find a lot of uh, fun in, in, in going back over his old tweets because there's, there's a lot of uh, gems in there. Oh yeah, I mean, it's, and it just he just goes just goes wild. Like tonight, he's. I mean, we obviously his whole thing is like. Bulls are going to win the title in like 2021. <laughs> I believe before the season they were going to win the title yeah, next season. And like to the, after the after the game tonight, he was like, "Oh yeah, like Levine, Carter, and uh, Marketing, like best big three in the league." And like 2021, <laughs> just like he just gets that shit off, man. Just fires it off without without any regard. Like it just doesn't care. I mean, like, obviously, while that that might be kind of ridiculous, like it, it he is just he's just a big Bulls fan. He obviously means well. Just have it's his bit. It's and it's it is entertaining. Like. I used it used to annoy me a lot more in the past, but like he's just a just a lovable, very very optimistic Bulls fan. Like it definitely is funny getting in quote unquote arguments with with you and him, and that back and forth is always. Is I will always say, fun. I wish I did have some of his optimism. Uh, I like to think I'm more of a realist, more than a pessimist. I get labeled a pessimist. Yeah, I, I believe we are. Like, I've, yeah, I think like all three of us are like on a similar <laughs> realist, a little more pessimist. While he's just like full blown optimism, the Leviathan, the red Leviathan, the big red bust, beep beep. Like, yeah, I mean, crazy. he's a little too psycho for me. But if if I could just like pinch, you know, maybe five percent of his optimism, then I'll, I would definitely do it. So I'm, I'm a little bit envious of. I've decided I'm going to see red Fred the White Sox. <laughs> We're going to use see red Fred as a verb now. And I'm going to see Red Fred the White Sox where, like, I know that logically everything is, like, deeply messed up and that the White Sox are going to be trash and have no real hope moving forward. But I'm just going to love every Eloy Jimenez homer and get, like, really confident oh, yeah. about Copic coming back to win the Cy Young. So I think that see Red Fred is really a trendsetter in the genre of progressive <laughs> Chicago sports. You might as well embody some sort of character, some like deep held irony that everything is actually much better than it seems on the surface level. I mean, I don't know how you do it. I was going to tweet this out last week, but I didn't want to get in trouble. But I mean, I don't follow baseball at all. I, the only baseball thing I know is based on the timeline and what it tells me. But I do know that Jerry Reinsdorf obviously owns the White Sox. So I just don't understand how there are people in Chicago that allow themselves to, you know, root for teams that have, that, are, that are owned by Jerry Reinsdorf. Just, just the balls. That, that's enough for me. So I don't know how you do it, Ricky, but um, you must have uh, the patience of a saint, I guess. Yeah, Mark. But what do you know about a man named Frank Thomas? You know, I, I got I to grow that. up with Michael Jordan and Frank Thomas. That was pretty dumb, but it's been bad for like for a long time now. <laughs> White Sox are bad. Like the Cubs were obviously bad for a while now. The White Sox won their series in it was oh five, right? The World Series. Oh. Yeah, sorry, sorry that I can't remember the. I feel like ESPN forgets. ESPN forgets about White Sox World Series champions all the time. So don't blame me, but I feel like they haven't been in the playoffs since oh eight. It has been rough. I'm rooting for them. Like I said, I'm a huge Cubs fan. I am rooting for the White Sox to be good. I, it's better when both the Cubs and the White Sox are good. So the point is, see Red Fred, man. Yeah. He's an idol. He's figured this out. Yeah. Um, we we did talk about Joakim Noah a bit, just a bit now. Now that the, since the Bulls did play him tonight, I've, we have talked about him before a bit before as well in other pods. Just favorite Joakim Noah moments. But since the, in honor of Joakim playing tonight and playing well, I feel like he was almost the Grizzlies' best player tonight. He, like, changed the energy for them, he, and he did some really nice things. So, I guess just, Mark, what is your favorite Joakim Noah memory when he was with the Bulls? Uh, I mean, I honestly don't even know where to necessarily start, but, uh, I mean, yeah, there, there really are. But, I mean, I, I don't even know if it's necessarily one singular play or something like I, I the thing that really, you know, I remember or recall about Joakim Noah is that just that primal scream that he would always have, whether it's, you know, block after blocking a shot, after getting a rebound and making a putback, whatever it was, 
there was always just this real emotive primal scream, which me as a fan was basically replicating on the other side of the uh, of the of the world. Which we're just seeing Joakim doing that. That's probably the fondest memory that I have of him. But I mean, you can't go past that dunk on on Paul Pierce back in two thousand and nine, or even these Game Seven uh, performance against the Nets in twenty thirteen. I mean, they're the ones, you know, strictly game performances. They're the ones that jump out of me straight away. But just that entire, actually, 2014 season, I mean, that's probably my one of more one of the most uh, joyous experiences I've ever had as a fan. And, and even 2013 too, uh, when, you know, after Derek Rose goes down with those injuries, those teams were expected to be, to be terrible. They weren't. They'd still found a way to fight back. And I think Joe Keane was a big part of that, just the spirit that he sort of had and that soul that he had. You know, he would have been a player that Jim Boylan would have absolutely loved. So, they're the, they're the fond memories that I have about Joe Kim. Just the way, the passion he played with. And I'm not from Chicago, but he almost made me feel like I was in that sense, in the way he repped the Bulls and the team. And, um, you know, being on the other side of the world, I, I almost had like an affinity to the Bulls because of Joe Kim Noah. So, that's what he means to me. And, um, yeah, that's, that's they're my fond memories about the dude. So much spirit, the bulls across the chest. That joke, joke him now on Jim Boyle. Oh, I mean, absolutely love it. I've just got an love image of Joe so, now so just right. pounding his, his chest, pounding his heart, and you know, just hitting that balls across his chest. He's he's a total Boylan player. Yeah. By the way, how happy did you think that beating the Lakers and beating LeBron on oh Noah's man, that was- how happy do <laughs> you think that made him? Like, I really think that Noah deeply believes LeBron is just a phony. Like, I don't think he thinks he's like a terrible guy or anything, but I think that he probably believes he gets calls no one else gets. And he probably believes that like he's just corny and he's just a phony. Noah was great in that game. I think he had 14, 12, and 4 on LeBron's birthday. The Grizzlies beat the Lakers. Joe Kim, I, I was nearly crying tears of joy in your honor because I knew how happy that made you deep down. I was going to say, just like watching him beat LeBron in another regular season game, just like I feel like trolling LeBron was like, again, one of the he things you remember about him. win the game too. It was, like, it was in crunch time, I think. Uh, LeBron was barreling down the lane and Noah stood yeah, in. Yeah. Guard, Grizzlies ball, Grizzlies win. It was it was beautiful. Like you said, brought a, a tear to the eye. It was, that was it's great stuff because yeah, I mean, just like the Noah, like I thought he was done. And you, Mark, you you mentioned that 2014 season being like the most fun, like bull. Like I feel like it's the last like legitimately fun bull season because like if you like look at like the last what are four or five years we've been complaining so much about the front office and like the 2014-2015 team was good, but like there was the last year of Tibbs and like this, that year was like just miserable. It was so so much tension. The year after that was I feel like they missed the first year of Fred was ugly. They missed the playoffs. Then it was three alphas, and then like last year was mostly terrible. Like it's been like four or five straight just shit years of Bulls basketball, and that and that whole Noah thing. Like I, I was ready to throw in the tank. I think that was the year they yeah. traded Dang, right? 2013-24. They traded Dang. Rose was hurt again, and then Noah just like put the team on his back. They had like DJ Augustine playing starting point guard. You had Noah. I think they still had Boozer that year, uh, and that was just a, just a fun ass season. Like no expectations, and to win whatever the, the playoff series was against the Wizards was awful. I was. I was in the building uh, for that game in like a suite. I think Steve Weinman actually hooked me up with tickets for that. The Bulls analytics guy. Thanks, Steve. Except the Bulls scored like 70 points and lost in five games at home. It was terrible. But that season in general was awesome because of Joakim Noah. He left his heart on the table or on the on the floor every night. And I'm pretty sure he almost ruined his career because of it because he was playing like 35, 40 minutes a night, playing his ass off through injuries. It was it was incredible. And it was awesome to watch Noah do that. So, it was, so that was a whole lot of fun. Um, I'm trying to think of if there's anything else exciting to talk about here, guys. We're, we're pretty close to wrapping up here. I guess we could look ahead really quick here, just the, the Bulls' upcoming schedule. Um, let's see. Let me pull it up right now. Like I said, they play the Hawks coming up. So that's, I guess, if you're worried about this, the tank standings, the Bulls have two games. I think this is the last two games against the Hawks coming up. They got a home. Is it home first? I'm pulling up. Okay, so Friday, we're at the Bulls are at Atlantis. 6.30 Central Time. And then Sunday, they have a matinee back at the United Center. Uh, and then they got a, some interesting games coming up after that. They go to Indiana. They host the Sixers. They got a couple games against the Pistons. So they'll be interesting. And then they play the Lakers in the middle of March. So there'll be a really interesting stretch up coming up here against some pretty solid teams. That the Hawks record isn't good, but they've been playing better. And then some Eastern Conference playoff teams to see if the Bulls can keep up this this hot stretch. It'll it'll be uh, interesting, to, interesting to watch. Um, Mark. Thank you so much for coming on. Also, Mark, you're getting married soon. 
where are you going on your honeymoon? Uh, well, uh, I'll be going to Europe actually during free agency. I did not plan that well at all. So basically the month of oh, July, man. I'll be in uh, Europe, which isn't the best planning that I've ever done in my life. So, But it shouldn't be too much of a big deal. I mean, the Bulls aren't necessarily going to take a big swing in free agency. So from a Bulls point of view, it probably won't matter too much. But just generally, I think it's going to be pretty chaotic in the M- NBA landscape. So I'll be um, in Europe during that. But um, yeah, getting married soon next week um next weekend basically so i'll be uh taking the plunge that's that's awesome married life is is pretty good so it should it should be a lot of fun where may i ask where are you going in europe uh so i'll be going to uh england the uk and then i'll be heading to france i think for a few days and italy for a couple weeks and then finishing up at the uh the motherland for a few days so um it should be fun Nice, yeah, because I went to Greece on my honeymoon. I made, but I made sure it was in late August. I did the, I planned around that, around that free agency, yeah, and made sure nice. it was at the end of the summer. So, Jason yeah, needed to get that uh, bullet on Jabari Parker text alert. <laughs> Couldn't be. Well, actually, when I was on, when I was on my honeymoon, because it was like last, was it twenty? It was like twenty seventeen. Whatever. Kyrie, that was when Kyrie uh, had his trade request. So, like, I was over in Greece, like checking my phone when I could, because I was, I promised, promised the wife not to be on the phone too much, but. It's like laying in bed. I saw like, holy shit, Kyrie Irving requested a trade from the Cavs. So there was some pretty wild shit that happened on mine. But that sounds awesome. Yeah, you're, I would love to get back to Europe. Greece was fucking dope. It was, that was my first time in the motherland, and it was a lot of fun. So congratulations. Congratulations on that. Let me just say that, that Mark is doing a fantastic yes. job covering the Bulls this season. Podcast Bulls HQ. If you listen to this one, listen to that one too. You should already be doing that. He's also been writing for Bloggable, which is where Jason and I uh, do most of our Bulls writing. And Mark has provided great commentary and insight on the team throughout the season. Uh, he's been doing it as well on Twitter. So follow Mark at MK Hoops. Subscribe to his podcast. Keep reading Bloggable. He's producing a lot of good stuff. So I just know that I, for one, am thankful to have Mark's voice in the Bulls blogosphere, I, I enjoy uh, Mark's takes on all things Bulls. So if you're not following him, follow him. Mark, thanks for joining us. Hey, I appreciate, I appreciate it, guys. It. Um, it, was, it was a lot of fun. And, you know, it's, it's nice being on the other side of the uh, of the podcast line here, just uh, being the guest for a change. So I appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks for the props. And, um, yeah, I'll speak soon. Maybe I'll get you guys on my show. Um, maybe after I'm back from my wedding, we'll do that. Yeah, absolutely. And congratulations again on the wedding. It, it thanks, should be man. a great time. It's getting married. It's a lot of fun. So congrats again on that. Cheers, guys. Appreciate it. Cheers. All right, that that will do it. Uh, I guess just to finish it up here, I guess one more point I wanted to make is that uh, the Bulls beat the Celtics' ass recently. I, I missed that the Celtics game, uh, which was really disappointing. Because I know Ricky, Mr. Bulls in six, uh, we always love to rip on the Celtics around here. So it was, it, was a lot, it was really cool to see the Bulls just beat the Celtics' ass, and they're really struggling lately. Ricky, were you able to see any of that, the Bulls-Celtics game? Oh yeah, I, I was so I was so bummed game. to miss it. The Celtics are just a fucking disgrace. The basketball in general. I mean, what a horrific team. The Bulls hit, or now they've lost two straight since then. So that's four straight losses for Boston. I mean, when you get blown out by the Bulls, uh, you know that everything's just going down the toilet. So if the Boston really does fall apart towards a stretch run, which seems like it's happening right now, like. We're getting a lot of passive-aggressive oh, Kyrie Irving post-interviews. Uh, the young guys on the team who took them to Game 7 of the Eastern Conference Finals last year, they just do not seem to be jiving with Kyrie for whatever reason. Uh, I will take great joy in pointing to that blowout Bulls win as the moment when the Celtics see It would be hilarious. Really and it would be especially funny because the Celtics beat the Bulls by 56, and that was the mutiny, like the post-mutiny game. And when the season, when the Bulls season was on the Jane, now the Bulls are playing great. The Celtics look like ass. The Schadenfreude will be real if the Celtics fall apart and if they lose Kyrie. Don't get Anthony Davis. I will, I will be gloating even if the Bulls aren't aren't actually back yet. I will, I will love every second of it. That'd be hilarious. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's nothing worse than Boston <laughs> yeah, sports, man. Next, next, on that. It's the one thing the whole country yeah, absolutely. On. Next season, Bulls in six, for real. They're going to the playoffs. They're going to beat the Celtics in six. It's going to happen. We'll see, hopefully. But uh, that will be all for us today. Uh, thank you guys for listening. Thanks again for, for Mark for coming on. Uh, reminder, Blue Wire Cash Considerations is part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network. There, we have a ton of good pods. We're adding a bunch of pods. We're growing, growing fast. 
mentioned we just added a Clippers pod. We got tons of other good teams, the Warriors, the Lakers. We got a bunch of good stuff across the Blue Wire Network, so please do go check us out. Uh, you can find Blue Wire on Twitter at Blue Wire Pods. Uh, so that's all for today. We'll be back hopefully in the next week or so. Hopefully the Bulls keep playing well. So this was uh, Cash Considerations from Jason and Ricky. Have a good one, guys. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.